Hello and welcome to another episode of That Can't Be Right. I'm your host, Eric Ballinger, and here with me is... Joe Miller. And this week we're going to talk about self-care. The last few weeks have been a little more theoretical, uh, or last week's especially was a bit of a downer. So shifting a little more into how to succeed in grad school in terms of uh, remembering that you are more than just a student. Oh, don't tell me that. I'm a worker bee for my PI or my professor or my uh, research advisor or my chair. I don't have a life. I don't have feelings, emotions, desires, hopes, dreams. My goal is just to satisfy every one of their urges and desires for research until I graduate. And then I no longer exist. Isn't that right? That is a fairly common interpretation of the uh, the role of the grad student. Um Though I have to say, luckily in, in our department, they haven't been that bad. They, no, 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 no. I will actually, um, a lot of the times that when I will be a little bit more exaggerated when it comes down to things, but our department is a little bit more understanding than most departments that I either hear from through other graduate students or my experience with working with other departments as of now. Right. And I think part of that might be, I'm assuming, that some of that comes down to the fact that we are in an educational psychology department. One would hope that people who do research on how people learn would understand how people learn <laughs> and encourage them to, to behave in that same way. Yeah, but then, then the other thing comes down to, I think, we, we also have to be aware that some fields are supposed to be these helping fields. Um, they're the clinicals, the counselors, the school psychologists, and a lot of times they are pushed to their extremes because... Oh, what is the phrase? Um, by fire, uh, bathe in fire to survive or something. I have no idea what phrase I'm talking about right now, but I think it's a great example of sometimes where a lot of times people think that the more you push them, the more that they are able to manage. The more that you strain them out, the more they adjust to the negative situation. I come just a trial by fire? Trial by fire, yeah. And yeah, I know there are certainly people that pretend that that's how the world works. And sometimes that is, in fact, how it works. I know in some educational situations, specifically, I'm thinking of uh, martial art training stuff, mm -hmm. where the instructor would, would go much faster and harder than would be normal, mm -hmm. just to make sure that you have to clean things up. But in other situations, that's honestly stupid. <laughs> it's not very effective. Doing more than you're capable of at the moment is usually a recipe for disaster. And, and that actually goes back to uh, Vygotsky uh, when talking about development, the idea of the zone of proximal development, mm -hmm. that you... But this idea that you're capable of accomplishing certain things with mm -hmm. help. To a certain extent, uh, Piaget had a similar idea that mm -hmm. you could move through. And weirdos in America were like, oh, so if I help someone with this part of their developmental... Uh, stages, then they can move through them quicker. Both Piaget and Vygotsky thought it was a stupid idea. Like, you, you can't. You can push them, and they can appear to have moved from one stage to the next, but they haven't really. They're just able to, to at least briefly produce some sort of result that you want, which is not stable and doesn't help at all. So pretty much what you're saying is we can push them as much as we want, but both of the primary theorists in development that we take a lot of our work from yeah. pretty much said that 
That's great. You can push them all you want, but that doesn't mean they're actually making it to the next developmental milestone in their career journey, whatever you want to call right. it. it. It'll look like it for a little while, mm-hmm. but then they'll fail. And usually it'll be a pretty catastrophic failure. I think the I think one of the greatest ways to term that for now is uh, just burning out. Uh, oh, as a like not only necessarily like um, just failing at your career, but just burning out entirely. And I think that's something that I think really is something that we're going to try to be talking about today is just the idea of burning out and how to manage that while also trying to take care of yourself along the way. Right, and some of it is goes a little beyond just burnout. Yeah. Uh, in terms of developmental theory or even learning theory, mm-hmm. we like to think that if we do everything all at once, if, we, if, we, if we're studying for, for this exam or for this class, we need to spend eight hours a day on it. And that's, that's how you rock and roll. That's how you get that good grade. That's how you learn this material. What isn't true, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, everything that we've been taught, and this is where... The human brain really sucks because we think that's how you learn. You know, if you, if I tell someone the best way to learn in any subject is to work on that subject for an hour and then work on a different subject for an hour and then go back to the original one, the, the idea of toggling back and forth, most people will tell you, no, that's crazy. It doesn't work for me. And they're wrong, which is so bizarre. I mean, it's I dislike it when psychologists tell people that their impressions of their own experiences are wrong, uh, because usually, because usually the psychologist is wrong. It's like, oh, you don't fit my theory. You're wrong. But most people, when they're thinking about their learning, are in fact mistaken. And the nice thing about it is, it isn't just me as someone studying psychology telling them that they're wrong. It's objectively an error. You, if you look at people who um, study in what's called interleaving who study in that fashion, they actually get better grades and have better retention of the material, despite the fact that they think they don't. It's almost like, so for the people who are not familiar with this, because I'm not, I'm going to just take from a, like, you know, an outside perspective of what you're talking about. Pretty much what you're saying, the person who might be studying less, but just interweaving it throughout the day with, with their material along the way is actually learning more than the person who's cramming eight hours a day, for one thing over well, and over and over again. Right. And it's not even cramming. So, because typically when we think of cramming, we think, oh, I have a test tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I should read all five chapters that have been assigned to me over the last four weeks. <clears throat> it, it, it really does come down to if you spend an expen- extended period of time working on one subject, it's less effective than if you spend a similar amount of time uh, going back and forth between two subjects, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. And again, if you do it, you will feel like what you're doing is bad, like it doesn't work. But objectively, when people study in this fashion, they tend to have higher academic achievement. So it's one of those rare times when a psychologist will tell you, no, that you're mistaken about your impressions, and they're right. Because typically, if a psychologist tells you, it's like, and when you tell them something, you're like, well, you're, you're just wrong. Uh, no, your psychologist is wrong. They're, they're stupid. Okay, without without that caveat of um, our own personal biases towards some some beliefs, um, it, it's very true. This is one of those rare times where you are actually wrong, even though you feel this way. It's your own personal bias, and it's actually the thing that people are not necessarily aware of. Sometimes, um, I think one thing that really struck a lot of people struggle, especially within academia, and I know I personally struggle with this, so I might be talking a little bit more from my own personal opinion versus 
from a realm of research or knowledge. But, I mean, sometimes I feel like I just, if I'm not going, I'm falling behind. If I'm not going 110% every day, I think that I'm falling behind. Right. And, and that's a really common. Um, if I'm not studying every hour that I'm awake. Uh, it, one of my favorite movies is Fight Club. And, you know, that there's a line in there that, you know, this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that idea that I have to be, if I'm not using this minute productively, I'm wasting my life. Yeah, that's not true. But I think that's also so much true for so many things. So, um, you know that I'm a huge comic book fan. So, like, the idea of, like, being a fan of... Um some major characters who do things nonstop, like thinking of Batman who never actually gives up and constantly is the one who's working out, studying his, um, studying to try to be better, right. constantly doing things to push himself towards the edge. Or even if I think of other stereotypes of even graduate school, when I was thinking of college and stuff and looking towards TV and media, often I would just see so much of people just constantly cramming, constantly working nonstop, constantly trying to push themselves and that was what I thought you were supposed to do. Almost envelop yourself to the point where you're no longer seeing anything but the material. Spending hours and days within libraries for one thing. And that's absolutely the general impression that people get about grad school and about college in general. And that is certainly a path you can take. <laughs> but the question then comes back down to how effective is the path of taking that? How effective is it? Oh, it can be awesome. I mean, uh, one of the... Uh, Robert Sternberg, I think. Ugh, I'll have to check that name. If it's not, I'll put it in the comments somewhere, the, the right name. But I'm almost certain it's almost 100% it's Robert Sternberg. Uh, president of the APA for years and uh, incredible researcher in um, uh, adolescence and neuroscience. And one of his later articles, going back and talking about his career, which at that point I think it still had spanned 30 plus years. And he was very dedicated. All the time you, you spend it, every waking moment was spent reading, writing new stuff, coming up with new studies, coming up with new theories, new ways to, to uh, present this material and to understand adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he realized 30 years in, when he was on his second marriage and his adult children no longer spoke to him and the only family he had were, was the, with the new wife and the new kids. And he realized how much he had completely screwed his life up by becoming, you know, Robert Sternberg. Uh, He became this incredible academic researcher, and that was it. That was the entirety of his being. And he realized a little late that that really wasn't healthy and that wasn't good. Um, So you can go out, you can be incredibly successful if that's how you choose to live your career, as long as you're okay with becoming a bitter old man who, if you're someone like Sternberg, has the opportunity later to to reset and try again. Yeah. I think one thing that like um, was a quote that I read from somewhere, or I could be butchering this as well, um, but the thing that I always think about is um, when I started psychology, I remember reading about how Freud would spend all day, he'd spend like eight hours or 12 hours doing a psychoanalysis and eight hours studying and writing research. He spent maybe less than an hour with his actual family where he would walk with them in the park every single day and then he'd only get six hours of sleep at night, if that, where he'd be constantly throughout the rest of the day just working nonstop. And I thought that's what being in academics was. I, I think that's how we just portrayed and how we conceptualize in our mind. 
again, totally an option. It is, but 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 at what cost? <laughs> right. To, to lose your humanity, to lose your soul to this, I think is something that a lot of people may want, but then realize later on that it's not healthy, nor is it actually fun or it's not healthy it's not fun and then you have this other problem that you become incredibly wrapped up in your identity as whatever that variety of academic is what if your line of research fails Ooh. so you have like a specific example of somebody's like research that failed well that's one of the interesting knowledge. things is that like piaget and even to a certain extent uh um, bf skinner when piaget died mm-hmm. and he stopped pushing piagetian uh, thinking um you know like pga's theories on on uh, development changed a lot over the course of his life but by the time he died people were looking at his looking back at his theories and saying that doesn't actually fit that doesn't yeah. match that you know because they had to yeah if you know much about pga pga in theory from the 1940s or 50s is way different from even the stuff that he was writing uh, right up until his death in the 90s yeah and, and that's one Granted, he, he was in luck because he was studying uh, development of children, and he had children, so they were his subjects, which is makes his research a little fuzzy. Um, well, we're not getting the fuzzy details but, of his research today, though. Right. Um, and, and Skinner, to a certain extent, I mean, his life was all about this thing, and... And they are still household-recognized names. Kind of, but people look at Skinner and... You have to ignore huge chunks of his research because for Skinner, if if a behavior was not observable, it was not a behavior. So it wasn't real. So the idea that we're that I'm thinking about what I'm doing before I speak doesn't make sense to Skinner. The idea that someone can hear me talk about an experience in grad school and then avoid that particular experience also doesn't make sense to Skinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him, you have to learn through experience. It's the only way you can get it. Wasn't he the one that like later had his like was challenged to somebody and was able to show that behaviorism was not the only way? Oh no, uh, that'd during... be the other way around. It was the other way around <laughs> because okay. for Skinner, behaviorism is the end. Yeah, uh, and that was actually Bandura was one of the people that showed that like no, we think all the time, and it's a not an it's not an observable behavior, but it's still real. So Bandura won that debate between Skinner and I think so. <laughs> okay, uh, the problem with Skinner's not a too big of a deal. Uh, his research was a little strange, um, but it specifically comes down to his thing with uh, if it's not observable, beha- observable behavior, it's not real. So, by getting but still getting off track, there is a degree where Skinner's research starts to crumble. Exactly, and if and if that's how you define yourself, and and you can kind of see it in his later articles where he can feel what he's doing start to sh- to shimmy a bit. Yeah. And he becomes incredibly defensive. Yes. And, and and that's kind of what ends up happening, is if you are mistaken and you've spent your entire life devoted to this thing, yeah. what now? And I think that comes down to, for a lot of us as students, especially for us now, that's kind of like that, um, oh, it's kind of like that imposter syndrome a little bit. I know I'm underselling, like, Skinner is very much losing his mind and losing his research and stuff. And I, I know I am, but like, again, my goal for this is always to talk to like the graduate students out there who are mm-hmm. about ready to go into this. And the truth is you sometimes wrap yourself so much up in your, your research, your work. I'm either having thoughts like, no, I'm a good student. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. The second that those things start to crumble, you're like, who am I now? Right. Who am I outside of only doing this? 
And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to define what they are outside of doing that. I know that it is a struggle for many people to conceptualize being somebody outside of graduate school. And I think that's something where I very much think a lot, lot um, that we need to talk about more, especially as students and also as maybe even professors need to realize. And going back to our department, I, that's one of the things I think is really good that the people in our department, the, the faculty on our floor, they do recognize that. In fact, the article about uh, Sternberg near the end of his life was assigned to me by someone on the floor, mm-hmm. kind of as that point that you can be this amazing guy, but there is a cost. And if you choose poorly, you're going to have to pay that cost. So let's talk about the opposite. Let's say instead of going the hundred percent every time, why don't we talk about something that very much is the opposite, how to take breaks effectively right now, a little bit more. And this is where I'm going to have you chime in when, with your, uh, with your vast knowledge. But I think one thing that like a lot of people think is um, okay. Well, I know that if um, let's 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 start with an example. I think my favorite example is always Netflix. Netflix <laughs> as being the self care tool of the modern millennial, the modern uh, Gen Zer. Netflix and before you know that they crumble underneath the amounts of other subscription networks out there right now coming. I think Netflix is the number one thing that a lot of people go to when they're, they're going to do self-care. Or they say, I need some self-care. I need to go watch Netflix. Now, before I get into this example, one thing I want to state is that nothing is actually wrong with watching Netflix. The <laughs> problem that comes down to is the idea of what I like to call just binging. So binging Netflix. Case in point, I think I sometimes like will talk to you. It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go home and watch uh, just one show or I'll talk to you about a show and then I can find myself being so stressed from the day and working nonstop that when I get home, I'm like I, I've earned this. I've almost somehow convinced myself that I have earned the ability to go home and watch some Netflix, right? Or play video games or do this thing. And it ends into this depravity of spending three to five hours watching a show that I don't really like. Okay, I was going to say, is that depravity? When you spend three hours watching a thing that you don't like, yeah. okay, sure. But, but, but at the same time, <laughs> you're not you really like even focusing on the show. You're kind of just there. Okay. You're not really even enjoying the show. You're almost <clears throat> sometimes skimming it, for lack of a better way of explaining it. You're kind of just like you're not even able to enjoy what you're doing. And I think that's something that I really much is it's different. How to take breaks effectively. Well, I haven't the slightest how to do that effectively. So that is a, a question that everyone will have to answer for themselves yeah. in those respects. That, um, yes, you should take breaks. No, you should not spend oh. nine hours. The whole idea of doing an all-nighter in grad school is just ridiculous. Dude. Exactly. That should, that should never happen. <clears throat> um, should you watch five hours of, you know, Mighty Mouse or whatever? Uh, I, probably also a bad idea. But you're going to have to be the one who gauges where that line is between self-care and uh, procrastination. <laughs> where, so, where, do, where does that happen? Like, so I don't know. we're going to talk about and probably try to bring in some more, more common like interventions and ideas to do this. But like I think one way for me to express this is very much through an example of a story that I had where it's very much individual to the person. Um, I think one of the best examples I had was I was I met with a graduate student one time and this all is the caveat of, you know, graduate students, we like to sometimes talk up how much we work before we actually, without actually admitting it. 
Um, we like to say that we're working on stuff, but I remember one graduate student, he sat at a table and we were at a conference and he mentioned, he's like, yeah, so, uh, you know, the only time I really do self care is I, I write a, a movie review once a week and I'm like, oh, well then, um, only once that's all you do for self care. Like literally nothing else. Like, yeah, like I only do that. And I'm like, okay. But at the time he seemed like he was clearly functioning more with better, more than me. And maybe in a sense, maybe that is the only thing that he needed. Maybe that's his version of self-care was that one time. And I'm like, and I literally just looked at him going in my mind. And I hope he listens to this, realize I probably didn't mean it as a negative thing. I'm like, just like, oh, you're crazy. Like my legitimate thought was like, you are not enjoying your life. You're not doing, you're not working out. You're not being healthy. You're not enjoying time with friends. You're spending one hour a week on writing a movie review after watching the movie. Like, that's clearly not enough self-care. And then I realized maybe those are the things that I wish I still had and I'm kind of transferring it on to somebody else. And that comes down to being aware of what you want and your version of self-care, but knowing how to take breaks effectively is the key. Right. And I would argue that guys either was lying to you. Um, hey, I said or... graduate students like to exaggerate how much work they do. Right. B- because that is sort of the weird competition we get into. It's like, oh, I... I... I was here for 10 hours last, you know, last night. Yeah, who cares? But that comes back down to you then feel like you can't take a break because there is such a degree of competition right. in graduate school. And, and I'm going to go with a bit of a com- computer metaphor here. One of the things about computers is that they are really stupid. And when they run into things they don't understand, they stop. And that was one of the flaws with the original Windows system as opposed to like DOS or... Uh, like Linux systems. When a Linux system runs into an error, it stops. When a Windows system would run into an error, it would try to guess what was supposed to happen next and just keep going. Which sounds great, because that means your computer's working longer, it means it's more flexible or whatever. But it isn't. What it's doing is it's now compounding that error. It still doesn't know what you wanted it to do, so it's ignored that step. So the next time it needs to go back to that step that it doesn't understand, it will just ignore it again until this snowballs into this giant thing that just fails. Mm-hmm. So whereas with uh, running my uh, Linux machine or specifically working with stuff in R, when it just slams into that wall and it goes like, nope, I have no idea what to do after line 28. It's annoying. But you're able to step <laughs> in and fix it without the error right. compounding. Right. And that might be what ended up with that guy. It's like, yeah, he was totally cooking right along. And I know that I've watched people around me do similar things where, you know, they're really just buzzing right along and then they just stop. I, kids in my undergrad program, they were all real go-getters right up until they just stopped coming to class mm-hmm. because they couldn't get out of bed. Because you're burning out. Right. You're almost exhausting yourself. Let's keep using the computer metaphor for a situation. Situation. Let's say that you're running, doing the same thing over and over again at high intensity. Now, a lot of computers are getting really good at cooling down and having a fan turn mm-hmm. on. Problem is, we don't have an internal fan that kicks on when we keep going. And if you keep doing that over and over again, you're just burning up the system. Right. And... But we do have a way to do that. When we get this idea that, like, oh, I've been doing this for a real long time. I should probably stop for a little while. That's probably accurate. Yeah. Uh, and going back to proper studying methods. Uh, so there's this uh, book called Make It Stick. Um, 
It's a Hoot. It's by Peter Brown, Henry Rodiger, and Mark McDaniel. Uh, and they talk a, a lot about how to learn effectively. And it comes down to you should be, you should not be on all the time. Don't be on all the time. And you definitely do not want to fixate on a single topic all the time. So if you're weirdos like us and you have a bunch of stats classes, that's occasionally strange because uh, it gets a little confusing if you switch between factor analysis and multi-level modeling and then longitudinal and then... Um, because they're all more or less the same thing. Yeah, I've heard once before that if you squint a little bit, too, like squint enough, you can like all stats tend to look the same. It's, it's it's all regression. But anyway, but but if you take your stats class and then and and even the the advisor in our programs has suggested this that you should have a stats class, a theory class, and a development class or whatever. Um, because then you can you can study your stats class for an hour and then study your development class for an hour and then go over to your whatever other theory class is. Um, and then you just sort of cycle through those. and That way you are interleaving. That's the word of the day here. It's also, again, it's in Make It Stick and in a bunch of other research. So it isn't just some random book. So you're interleaving stuff. You're more likely to remember it. You will... And this is where, again, your brain is stupid. You will feel like you're getting far less things done. And you might be. You might be getting less work done. Less, um, you might not work. see the progress that you're expecting. Right. Um, but you will actually are more likely to remember it, which is kind of the goal. <laughs> I know. And, and But the other thing is that the way that Joe's been talking about our general impressions of grad school, that well, you just you you start and then you run until you die. It's it's it almost how like <laughs> it's almost like treating a marathon as a sprint, right? And you can't do that. But that's how a lot of people look at grad school: is mm -hmm. the I just have to run all the way through all the classes, and then it'll be fine at the end. So I think one thing to kind of talk about, like, to um, with the interleaving, right? The idea of like working through things and like switching between, as Eric's mentioned, between developmental program, then your learning, then your stat class. I think also adds another value that a lot of people don't like to talk about is you can then apply each one and see how they're connected and then make better connections within your head. Certainly. And that is also one of the other huge points in, in make it stick. Most models of, of learning uh, talk about the things you were and learning and memory. Uh, we'll talk about the number of connections you have will dictate how well you remember something. Yeah. So one thing that I will actually say is there is a degree of taking a break effectively, trying to find out a way to take a break. Absolutely. And there's two things that I want to talk about in this idea. There is the, how do you take a good scholarly break? Like maybe when you're, let's say you're studying for qualifying or compositional exams. How do you take a good scholarly break? And then also how do you take just a good break from graduate school in general? So the first one I want to talk about is the idea of taking a break in the sense of taking a scholarly break. Um, we have several. We have a professor that we both can have in mind who is extremely successful in um, by recognized by our school as being a distinguished professor. But one thing to be aware of is his habits, his pattern of I'm going to do this up until this point and then take a break. I'm going to do this up to this point and then take a break. And he does that every day, but he's allowed to retain a vast amount of knowledge without getting burnt out. One thing that you can do is instead maybe incorporating, okay, I'm going to do I'm going to read my stats book for X amount of time. And then I'm going to read, um, not Facebook, Facebook's designed to literally be addictive. So find something else that you can read or talk to a friend or 
find a way to talk about something involving the stats class or move on to a different subject. Give yourself time to cool down from what you just learned and allow that connection to be reformed. You can't be going nonstop when writing a paper. You can't be writing a 20-page paper in a day nonstop without having breaks. The other thing to be aware of is to try to interweave other things throughout the day. You can't be just going nonstop on one single item. You can't be just trying to start with the morning and do nonstop work on your thesis. Academics is going to be individual per person. There's going to be, you're going to have GA work or GRA work or the idea of working outside. And then you're also going to be working on your school at the same time. If you have a job with the university, maybe try to interweave those things throughout the day because most schools are flexible. That being said, that is how you kind of take a scholarly break, finding a way to interweave things throughout the time, but also taking effective breaks within throughout the day. And here's the next kind of break that I think is very hard and the most difficult thing to do. Trying to turn off at the end of the day or trying to turn off and not think about graduate school. Yes, there's always going to be something else to do tomorrow. But when you go home, sometimes it's best to take a break. My suggestion strategy for things that have worked for me is when I go to the gym, my phone's off. When I'm at home with my family or my friends, yeah, we talk about graduate school, but at the same time, when I'm with friends who are not in graduate school or if I'm with my partner or if I'm watching a movie, my phone is off. And at night when I go to bed, and I think this is the hardest thing for a lot of people to do, is remember there's nothing else you can do that night. Thinking about it more is not going to make a difference. Create a break. Create a thing. They've actually shown more and more that sometimes maybe doing some interweaving is good, but also creating a break between things is very beneficial. Oh, absolutely. And again, even within uh, the, the this, this book, there's lots of research about that as well, because that is still also a variety of interweaving. Um, because if you just shove stuff in there, and it's one of the things where I tell people about their writing, because I'm going to use the teach composition, is you have to do a thing and then step far away from it for a little while and then go back and look at it again. Because if you're trying to learn something and you've got some concept rattling around in your head because you just read a paper on it, it obviously makes sense to you right after you read it because you just read it. If in an hour you look back at whatever you wrote down about it or, oh, so that's the heading of that thing. What was that about? That's when it, that's when it matters, because or because obviously as it's directly in front of you, of course it makes sense, and of course you remember it because it's right there. So <laughs> stopping actually does help. It helps you retain some information too. So I mean, it isn't just oh, I need to switch from subject A to subject B and do that off and on for the next ten hours. Like, nah, nah, nah. You need to stop too <laughs> and give your brain time to actually put that information somewhere as opposed to just letting it run past your eyes. And the other problem, of course, is on why you need to just stop on occasion is if you're hitting some sort of like anxiety-ridden or depressive episode and you're trying to reread your notes on, you know, on the history of Vygotsky, all you're going to remember is that that he died really young in Siberia of TB. It's like, what else? I don't know. It's just sad. He wanted to help all these kids. He was sent to Siberia and he died of TB. That's not going to help you on the exam. No. <laughs> and I think also going back to the anxiety and the depression, sometimes taking that time to step away 
can also help with that because all you're going to do is again just like a win old windows computer is that compound that anxiety that depression is just going to keep kind of compounded and over and over right. and over again and here's advice on that as well uh you if you're listening to this and you have problems with anxiety uh this probably won't help you um when you hit those moments of anxiety you just have to accept that you're anxious um, cause I know again from personal experience that you hit those things and you're like, Oh, well, I, I shouldn't be worried about that because that's just silly. I, I can't work on that until tomorrow, but now I'm worried that I'm worried and wow, oh. that helps. Um, I think I should the, get better about, it. but no, I know that that's also yeah. a fairly common problem. I mean, yeah, it the happens. Meta, the meta anxiety about anxiety. Right. Um, so if that happens, eh. It's something that we're going to be talking a little bit more as we move through the next few um, episodes on this or the next few things. We're going to be talking a little bit more about self-care in general. And hopefully this series, we haven't really finalized things on what we're doing, but it'll come out to be ways that hopefully some graduate students can take things away. I think both of us can speak a little bit about the anxiety and the depression um, and the depressiveness of graduate school. But I think one thing that we always need to be aware of is... Sadly, those two things are telling us something that we need to check in with ourselves. Right. Okay, so lesson to learn. Um, uh, this is important, I think, especially coming into this part of the year. I'm sure lots of people are wandering into finals. Uh, take breaks. Uh, you're not necessarily procrastinating. It's not you being a slacker. It's important. Uh, it is actually the better way to learn. You will learn more things. You will learn them longer, uh, which, of course, is the point. I hope of grad school and it will feel like you're not getting anywhere, but the annual, you really want to go back to, I should just study for 10 hours straight. I need to read this entire textbook tonight. Uh, don't do that. Uh, it's not very effective. While it seems like studying in large chunks at once is a good idea. Uh, it isn't. So no, what you need to do is in fact to take breaks and weave stuff in and go have a cookie. And we will see you next time.